Hello, I'm Philippa Harris, the Deputy Editor of The Lancet HIV, and welcome to our June podcast. Today, I'm talking to Kelly Dooley from the Johns Hopkins University in the States and Gavin Churchyard from the Orem Institute in South Africa. We're going to be talking about their recent trial, which looked at the safety and pharmacokinetics of tuberculosis preventative therapy in adults with HIV who were taking either efavirenz or dolutegravir-based antiretroviral therapy, and the trial was conducted in South Africa. So thank you both for joining us today. Um, and could you just start by telling our listeners something about the burden of tuberculosis in South Africa? Thanks very much. So tuberculosis remains a public health threat in most of sub-Saharan Africa, even though the rates of TB overall and of TBHRV are declining in most countries. In South Africa in particular, tuberculosis is the leading cause of death among people living with HIV, including those on antiretroviral therapy. In a recent large study amongst people living with HIV in South Africa has demonstrated the high rates of tuberculosis among people who have been on chronic ARVs for a long time, having been screened fairly frequently. We therefore need interventions such as preventive therapy to further reduce the risk of tuberculosis amongst this vulnerable population. We've had effective strategies to prevent TB, particularly isoniazid preventive therapy for many years, for decades. However, it has not been adequately scaled up. The short course TB preventive therapy that we now have of the weekly high dose isoniazid and rifapentine uh, given for three months, which we call the 3HP regimen, is a potential game changer in that it is associated with fewer side effects and higher treatment completion rates. In September 2019, the UN high-level meeting on TB called on heads of states to implement effective TB interventions and they set ambitious targets, including for the scale-up of TB preventive therapy amongst people living with HIV. We now need to meet those ambitious targets for delivering on TPT. And why is preventing and treating um, tuberculosis in people living with HIV so difficult? There have been many barriers to scaling up TB preventive therapy. Uh, which include at a programmatic level uh, concerns around drug-drug interactions, particularly with antiviral therapy uh, and notably dolutegravir-based regimens, uh, concerns around adherence to treatment and the fact that patients are required to take long treatment courses of TB preventive therapy. There have also been concerns around uh, generating or the potential to generate resistance and other programmatic barriers. But largely it's around concerns of safety, uh, the adherence concerns. I mean, one of the issues I think people are pretty familiar with isoniazid preventive therapy for um, preventing tuberculosis. And that treatment regimen is at least six months um, but generally nine months, and that would be um, among people who are already having the burden of, of taking their medications for antiretroviral therapy for their HIV. And as Gavin mentioned, the class of tuberculosis um, prophylactic medicines that are most effective 
in short courses are rifamycin class of antibiotics and those and rifamycins in particular have this characteristic that they induce the metabolizing, uh, they rev up the metabolizing enzymes responsible for metabolizing many companion drugs, including the, uh, the first-line drugs that we use uh, for HIV treatment. And so that's an additional challenge. So having something that's relatively short and simple to take will help with adherence and pill burden issues and also with coordination of HIV and TB care. And then at the same time, if there are not meaningful drug interactions, then uh, that will allow people to take those two therapies together. So you talked about um, first-line therapies there, and obviously the World Health Organization now recommends dolutegravir as the preferred treatment for all populations. So in light of this, why was your study needed, and how does it fit with the previous and current studies looking at tuberculosis prevention in people living with HIV? I think people saw that dolutegravir was going to be the HIV drug of choice globally, really, and then in um, Southern Africa as well, because it has a very high burden uh, or high, high barrier to resistance. It's very well tolerated um, and is a very potent antiretroviral therapy. And so one of the barriers to introduction of that drug as an HIV agent was uh, knowledge about how to use it with tuberculosis therapy. And since those studies have been done to show how you can do that, then the next step was really to see whether or not it'd be possible to take this new HIV regimen together with TB prophylactic therapy. And what was interesting, so there, there was a, a group at the NIH and the clinical pharmacology group there that, uh, or sorry, at the, at the FDA and their clinical pharmacology group there that designed a study to look at once weekly rifapentine and isoniazid given together with dolutegravir to really just get a sense of what the drug concentrations would be to see if they would be adequate and the drugs could be used together. And there was a really rather surprising finding that of the four people that they enrolled in their trial, these were all um, healthy volunteers who were HIV negative, that two of the four had pretty severe adverse reactions to that combination of isoniazid, rifapentine, and dolutegravir with fever, liver function abnormalities, low blood pressure, and, and other side effects. So they stopped that study early. So it, we recognized that adverse events related to TB medications are often quite different in uh, healthy volunteers without HIV, without latent TB, than in people with HIV and or uh, latent TB. And so we recognize that with dolutegravir coming and with 3-HP, such a promising regimen for preventing TB in this population that really needs it the most, that it would be important to study this drug interaction um, and co-administration of these medicines very carefully and meticulously in this study before rollout of this 3-HP could happen among people who were would be taking what is now the first-line therapy for HIV, that is dolutegravir. And how do you think the findings from your study um, will inform um, sort of future work and perhaps future guidelines um, we're about tuberculosis prophylaxis with people living with HIV? So these uh, results have important policy implications. 
in that we demonstrated that it was safe to give the 3HP to patients that were on steady state dolatagravir and that there was no requirement to dose adjust the dolatagravir. So uh, we could continue to give the dolatagravir at its standard dose. So this really does make it simpler for programs to implement, uh, seeing as it's, um, there's no dose adjustment and they don't need to worry about uh, safety concerns. How this will inform further research and policy is that we need to and are planning to implement a second follow-on study to demonstrate that it is safe to implement the 3HP simultaneously with a dolotegravir-based regimen mm -hmm. and to show that we can achieve the same rate of viral suppression as been seen in the other studies of giving dolotegravir in the absence of the 3HP. We're also planning a study to evaluate giving 3HP uh, with dolotegravir-based regimens in children. And we also uh, are supporting another study to evaluate the pharmacokinetic evaluation of 3HP in children broadly down to infants to help inform the optimal dose of the 3HP regimen in these children. Katie, do you want to add? Yeah, no, and then another exciting thing is that there was a recent study that showed that 1-HP, which is a once-daily treatment with rifapentine and isoniazid just for 28 doses, is equally effective for preventing tuberculosis in patients with HIV than as uh, a standard nine-month treatment with isoniazid. And so now the question is whether that 1-HP, where the rifapentine, so that strong enzyme inducer, is given every day instead of every seven days, as in 3-HP, to see whether that can be given safely with dolutegravir and if the once daily dose of dolutegravir will be sufficient in that setting. So I think that this study happily showed that this regimen was, was safe to give and we didn't see the adverse events that we saw or that people saw in the Healthy Volunteer study. And so that has really allowed for other research groups to proceed with looking at uh, this type of drug interaction and establish dosing for other regimens as well. Um, and just to sort of um, raise something I, I didn't mention earlier, I just wanted, you know, you talked a lot about the importance of widening programs for TB prevention and therapy, um, especially among people living with HIV in South Africa. And obviously, it seems remiss not to mention COVID-19. And I just wondered if you wanted to comment at all on how you felt this was going to impact things. So COVID-19 is impacting on the delivery of both TB and HIV services. We've seen substantial reductions in the number of people being tested for TB, uh, reductions in the number of people starting TB treatments, and being provided with TB preventive therapy. We also have a large program funded through Unit Aid to scale up 3HP in 12 high burden countries and to support the global scale up. And we've seen that COVID-19 has really uh, delayed the implementation of 3HP in all our 12 high burden countries. And so this is concerning given that in South Africa, 
Uh, to date, we've just had over 400 deaths from COVID-19, and yet we have up to 175 deaths per day from tuberculosis. And therefore, we must not lose sight of how important, how vital it is to continue to deliver both HIV and TB services uh, to avert the deaths from HIV and TB, and particularly by scaling up TB preventive therapy. And I was just going to add that there was a recent modeling study looking at just those things that Gavin was talking about in terms of people not presenting for therapy or uh, therapy discontinuations and things along those lines. And the modeling study, uh, the estimates from that modeling study is that there'll be an additional 6 million TB uh, incident TB cases and 1 million TB-related deaths owing to this COVID-19 pandemic. So it really has hurt TB therapy and the progress with TB reductions and incidents that have been achieved over the past years. Yeah, I mean, the numbers are terrifying and I think it's so important Yeah, when you're looking at sort of the impact of COVID that, that you consider these impacts, you know, far beyond on COVID-19 uh, itself. Um, so also maybe just to mention that uh, as all countries went into lockdown, enrollment into TB uh, treatment and prevention trials were paused and follow-up of participants was changed where possible to be virtual. And so of course that is delayed the implementation of, of um, really essential clinical trials to provide the tools we need to help fight and end the TB epidemic. But uh, thankfully, we're now moving into a stage where people have realized the importance of continuing the trials. And so despite the ongoing COVID-19 epidemic, we're looking for and are allowing our clinical trial sites to reopen and to implement these essential trials. Well, that's yeah, really encouraging to hear. Thank you both so much for taking the time to speak to us. I know it's a, it's a challenging time and it, it's not always easy to, to spare, spare this time. So thank you very much. And for anyone listening, if you'd like to read more about the trial we've been discussing, you can find it in the June issue of The Lancet HIV.